Hey guys, well in this episode we're talking all about the, the developing male and looking at sort of the different phases that men go through from you know their early you know preteen years and before that and into the you know the more uh, hormonally volatile ages of like the 20s, 30s and 40s and how hormones swing through a man's timeline into what's known as andropause, mm -hmm. right? A, a term that Nick is still adjusting to. And so we do talk about how those Well, because it says andropause. Like, right. it's almost like this idea that hormones stop. Well, just like pause. it's been said menopause. No, no, but yeah. like literally estrogen shuts down for women. Just like testosterone shuts well, down Well, it slows for men. down. Yeah, anyways. Estrogen slows down. <laughs> <laughs> so this is what we're talking about in this episode are the different changes and challenges that men also go through because we talk about women's hormones all the time. So... Mm -hmm. In order to understand each other more deeply, we need to understand the different cycles that male and females go through and so that we can understand our counterparts and understand our kids because our kids are also going through those cycles. And so the more we understand them, the easier it is to navigate these changes. Yes, yeah, so we talked about parenting, relationships, developing men, um, and we talked about Avatar. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, we talked about a lot, so enjoy, and please let us know if there's anything that you want us to cover in terms of hormones and relationships. So one of the things I think that we've all really recognized over, you know, maybe our own life or over the past few years is that community is so important mm -hmm. and having a safe space to really reflect mm -hmm. on what's important and obviously with regards to your health but also just other aspects to life mm -hmm. yeah we've had different conversations with different guests um, even our own patients and each other about that safety piece that without safety healing actually can't occur and that this is what we love about some of the groups that we've created especially our health ignited club where we come together and create a safe space so that everyone can heal together grow together learn together and really understand what's important as a collective so that we can also work on what's important as an individual yeah and it's interesting because i think it's, there's so much information in the world right mm -hmm. and it's easy to get lost and there's all the like the how to how do you how to solve this problem how to you know how to work on this aspect of your lifestyle and what what sonia and i do is we've got you know, a wide range of different mentors and 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 including you know the podcast guests that we've got a chance to connect with and so we we get a chance to filter information as we all do down into our own unique parts in a way to articulate that into into your unique lifestyle mm -hmm. and we so we found great value in being in you know mastermind groups and collaboration and learning from other people and so the whole goal of our help ignited club is to bring all of that wisdom into into these communities mm -hmm. so we'd love for you to join that community there's already amazing individuals in there that so we can support each other because really if we become more aligned with ourselves that's when we're going to make change in yeah. our own life and everybody else's yeah. So uh, if you find out more, go to drsjensen.com and you can learn more about the Health Ignited Club there. Okay, we're back with another conversation around hormones and relationships. Yes. And uh, we talk so much about women so often. Mm. And some, some interesting themes came up in the last conversation that, that some people were interested in. Mm -hmm. um, and so we wanted to dive a little bit more into men's health and... And we've got two young boys, and so we think often about um, hormone balancing and you know development, um, and you know from a mindset, emotional, you know growth point of view, but also obviously a physical one too. 
So what are some things that come up for you when we start addressing men's hormones and with this sort of understanding of you know, kids in the world that we're living in right now? Yeah, so I've been studying and treating women's hormones for a long time. And then when we had our boys, I thought it was important for me to start understanding men's hormones so that I can understand them a little bit more deeply, especially when our oldest turned around seven. You could sense there was a change happening for him. So I wanted to learn how I can best support him and educate him so that he understands what's happening in his body and why his behaviors, his thoughts, his reactions, especially with like frustration and anger, why they were happening, because not only are their hormones changing or developing, but their brain is also changing. So I have found in my conversations with him, the more I can support him in understanding what's going on, the easier it becomes to, one, for us to navigate their changes. Because as a mom, um, we tend to feel, and I know parents, like men, dads as well, but there is this like very particular link between mom and child. And there's even studies that have shown when they've tagged um, X and Y chromosomes within a mom after she's given birth, they see the tissues of the fetus morphing into a mom's lungs and her heart. So they literally become a part of you. So sometimes it's hard to differentiate between their feelings and what's going on for them and our own. So for mm. me to step back and understand that, oh, he's going through hormonal changes, brain changes, all of this is happening for him, that this moment isn't really about me, it's about him, so how can I best support him? It's not always perfect, but it's a start. Mm -hmm. So you, you said something specific around seven, like what did you feel mm. like you noticed around seven, that the shift of a kind? Um, he was just going a bit yeah. more internal, I mean he's always been a more, obs he just obs <laughs> observes. Obs he's observant. an observer. Okay. He's observant. And he's obstinate too. Um, I don't even know what that means. Stubborn. Okay, yes, stubborn. Um, but I just noticed more of that with him. Yeah. And just noticed his mood changes. That was like the, the big one where he would have these ups and downs, whereas before he was very even keel and really easygoing. I mean, he'd have his like moments, but it, it was just becoming more and more often. And then it's also when I realized, oh, he's not... A little guy anymore that we have to change the way we're parenting him we have to mm -hmm. coach him more than like it's not survival anymore it's like he's developing into his own person yeah well it's interesting just around that age seven too obviously there's a lot of changes that go on in the brain the, the brain tends to be moving out of this record state that theta state and into more of <clears throat> a, a larger range of different um you know, electrical stimuli in the brain, which, you know, um, um, the emotion of anger, which you brought up, is, is a, a thing, a common one, because that starts to create a bit of um, boundaries for what's, what's his and what's yours, like you mentioned. Or, um, and so I think that it is a really interesting time. And also I think it's interesting just for, for men in general as they develop, that often they, they don't emotionally grow mm. a whole lot, you know, past some of these early developmental stages. I think there's a lot of like learning that gets embedded and then it just kind of lingers that's the survival or that adaptation into that you know teenage year sometimes we can get stuck in our patterns there I mean this happens yeah. to women too but. but I also think for young men they don't have this like initiation into change yeah whereas for young women they literally start bleeding so they know something's happened something's changed right. whereas for young men it's happening so gradually and it's just happening and there's no explanation around it. 
um, or talk about it the way you know us women can talk about it that they don't really know what to expect so then it's harder for them to navigate that or maybe then that's what gets them feeling stuck because they don't know the different stages that they're in in their growth. Yeah, that's super interesting. I mean, there's physical changes, obviously. Yeah. You know, men or boys tend to go through a delayed growth spurt, but mm -hmm. obviously there's physical changes that happen. The, mm -hmm. the voice changes and all those other things. But mm -hmm. yeah, there's no real ritual mm -hmm. around that developmental change. And, and maybe that's partly where there's some emotional stuckness. Like there's mm -hmm. no real, you know, going out into doing a walkabout or just recognizing there's, there's sort of this mentorship of graduating into this new stage of, of development as a man. Yeah, so like physically there's change happening obviously in the brain and the hormonal system, but I also think culturally there's expectations of what young, young men are supposed to be like or what, what a definition of being a man or like man up or these things that show up. And these are things that I didn't really tune into before having two young boys. Now I'm very aware that they're just like women have their expectations, men also have expectations that they are trying to meet as they're growing up because of the conditioning that they're seeing maybe on TV or now social media or their father and their grandfathers or uncles and just how they're moving through life is also how they're learning about their changes rather than having like open conversations around what's happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, interesting, because it all correlates back to hormonal health, mm -hmm. right? Because, obviously, in order to, you know, develop, uh, you know, our masculinity as, as men, um, the, the, the male sexual characteristics or, you know, all those things, there's a lot in, in the environmental, you know, construct or the environmental, you know, toxicity that's contributing to affecting those, those early surges in hormone production yeah. right yeah so so much dependent on like what mom and dad's health was yeah. um, at conception and also there's been studies showing that a grandfather's decisions in puberty his decisions around food um, alcohol drugs all of that will contribute to how the grandson is going to show up in his like metabolic state so metabolic syndrome diabetes and all these things start to show up even more if the grandfather hasn't taken care of himself. Mm. So it's like you're not just carrying your own picture, you're actually tapping into the generations before and they have to like unravel what they've done and start, to start kind of working from scratch. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, I guess that, that levels up the responsibility for the parent mm -hmm. to make sure that you're doing what you can to live a healthy life and, you know, um, you know, try to, you know, you mentioned metabolic syndrome, so doing something to develop metabolic flexibility through fasting and all the other lifestyle tools that we teach so that you can embody uh, that ideal for your kids and, mm -hmm. and obviously that can carry forward in a really positive way. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's super interesting that, that our grandparents have influenced um, genetically or epigenetically on how we're going to show up and how mm -hmm. we're going to develop. Yeah. Um, and that's like Rachel Yehuda has done a lot of work around that. Like she's mostly worked on generational trauma that's been passed down, but also how that influences somebody's physical body mm -hmm. and their ability to deal with stress, their ability to actually produce hormones or their ability to navigate insulin and cortisol and all these things. So when you start to look back, it can feel a bit daunting that does that mean I don't have control over the changes that are happening right now or my lifestyle or my body but actually it's empowering to think that um, what we do today can change the trajectory of the next generation and the generation afterwards and that we do 
in terms of epigenetics have the power to change that just with our decisions. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, our boys aren't necessarily thinking these things. No, right? they're not. But yeah. as parents, we can exactly. instill that in them, plant the seeds, and yes, they're going to make their different decisions as they grow up. I mean, our youngest is always challenging me on all the things, um, but hopefully we've planted enough seeds for them to question their decisions. Mm -hmm. so, so raising young men, um, you know, as parents, we've struggled at times, we've succeeded at times at finding the best way to communicate to our boys. I know that you, have a, you come to a conversation or a challenge with our boys differently than I do. What's that been like for you? Because uh, you've mentioned sometimes like when you are disciplining them, it can be scary as a, as a man, uh, disciplining the boys versus mm. like communication on, on, on a woman's side. So maybe like just speaking to what you notice in our relationship and, and how to help support and guide our kids as, as they are moving through their challenges. Yeah, so being the only female in the house and witnessing sometimes the joys and the challenges between the three of you have been interesting, especially with you and our oldest, because he's, I mean, he's 11 years old, so there's a lot of changes happening for him. But from an outside-in perspective, it looks like there's like a testosterone war going on when <laughs> there's like a challenge that you're challenged with around him, and then he kind of puffs up a little bit. And so that for me, being the female, like I don't know what to do a lot of the times because my mama bear shows up mm -hmm. in that moment. And also my perception on how to deal with them is different because I want to nurture them. I want them to feel like I'm the person that they can lean back on and feel safe and feel all the things that they're feeling. Whereas for you, you come at it with more discipline. And I do feel like when I have to step into discipline that then I'm stepping out of my yin state and have to step into yang, which is necessary too as a mother. But if I have to do that too much to match them, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Like I have to come at it at a different angle, even for them to receive what it is that I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, and I totally agree. I mean, obviously, kind can be very, like, to go back to that word, obstinate. Um, part of me gets really irritated that he does that, that, that he um, argues or challenges a point um, but part of me also really respects him because I wasn't ever able to do that to my dad. Yeah, so he feels safe enough to yeah. actually question. Totally. And I, I will have to admit that I've really planted this seed inside both of them, question everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and sometimes it's challenging. <laughs> <laughs> but the, yeah. the reason I want to have this dialogue is because if we're looking at men's health, yeah. it all starts when we're, when we're young, right? Like our confidence, our... Um, an understanding of relationships with, with women or, or you know, um, relationships with ourselves. You know, so much of where men get stuck now in their health, let's say in the 20s, 30s, 40s and beyond, so much, much of it starts, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in that early childhood years. Mm -hmm. And obviously you and I haven't figured out parenting, you know, all that needs, you need to know. But one thing that I think that we do do well is that we admit our mistakes. We, we do, you know, we're not always perfect in the moment when the, when the emotions are high. But at some point, we will have a really deep and meaningful conversation with them to let them know where we, you know, misstepped or where we were wrong and, and what we were trying to truly understand uh, about the conversation or the challenge and, and to give them space to speak as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're not perfect in the moment, but we can definitely, you know, 
understand one another more deeply as you know as we in, learn about one another really mm -hmm. and I think so much of that you know imprinting at that young age and the developmental years through the teens and as those hormones surge really impact how we show up later in life which is yeah. kind of what I was saying before where I feel like so many men are emotionally stagnant and stuck in their early childhood development because they were never given the space to truly explore their feelings and what have you and they were just you know observing that older generation of like turn off emotion just you know whatever feeling is is not allowed you just go and do what you mm -hmm. need to do yeah and do so you disconnect think, do you think a part of that is like we talked about in our last episode behavior under chronology and testosterone being like the hormone and it's surging at those different stages like starting around age nine or ten do you think because that hormone is such an action-oriented one that it was necessary to step aside from emotions so that if we look at our ancestors and what they had to do to survive that if the emotions if we if men at that time mm -hmm. gave way to emotion they wouldn't get the thing done yeah to, possibly to protect the family or whatever like the, you know the wars we've had all of that mm -hmm. like i wonder if there's been this like generational imprint that if we step into emotion then we, you lose some of Action. that other element mm -hmm. your productivity mm -hmm. yeah well i think that's you know i i, I used to really get i don't want to say trigger but bothered by that um like toxic masculinity and really you know just fight through it like don't address the emotional system um, but there's like there's value in all these things right mm -hmm. so there's value in being able to recognize that there's an emotional surge of some sort whether it be discomfort or fear or whatever and be able to sort of compartmentalize that so that you can get a task done but then there's also it also creates a disconnect and so and I think a lot of the you know discussion around um, you know not a man not being able to express himself emotionally is a sign of a, a weakened man uh, or, or like um, someone stuck in their ego or you know whatever you want to label that as I think we are we, we, we can embrace all of it we can embrace that there's a time and a place to really you know put the emotion aside and, and get the task done but there's also time for reflection and we need to be able to step into that as well so that we can maybe course correct in the next time we get exposed to that experience um, you know or, or reflect on it and, and, and actually say okay what, what was the value in me expressing myself in that kind of way or what can I do better next time mm -hmm. yeah. so what do you think has been the biggest challenge for men's hormones uh, well I think there's definitely like this this um, you know, we talked about in the last episode that the only the only thing that's constant is change. So there's this adaptation that's happening, obviously, as we go through our different gener generational phases of, you know, uh, things that culturally the culture changes, right? And so the the expectation of what a man did, say, f for work and had a, his wife at home taking care of the kids, like so much of that dynamic back in the say 50s is completely changed and so roles from some men stay home right and they they take care of the kids and and I think a lot you know in our generation there's a lot more fathers that are taking on a role of of, uh, of at least balancing the equation when it comes to parenting so I think that you know understanding that there's this sort of changing cultural dynamic that's showing up um, you know men have have had to change so that's an that's an environmental sort of social impact I think on on men's health um, and then there's also like I think men generally you know especially the other ones that we get a chance to work with 
they come to see us because they want to feel more optimal. And so there's, I think there's a desire for men to, to want to feel better. And almost like um, an acceptance that it's okay to, yeah. to get to ask for help. You know, yeah. where maybe, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago, that wasn't really as um, accepted. And so I think there's definitely a shift towards men's health becoming more aware. And I think the biohacking movement has been really powerful because um, it's, you know, men, you know. It's more action-oriented. It's more action-oriented, mm-hmm. right? And then there's, a, there's a, uh, an observational benefit from doing something which, you know, creates, like there's a result sort of, mm-hmm. you know, win from that. So I think there's multiple things. But, you know, you know we talk a lot about toxicity in the environment. So there's also a lot of estrogen impact on men and men's health and 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 obviously not enough of us men know about how that's going to impact our testosterone you know how we express our health mm-hmm. so maybe dive into that like what are the different estrogens that are impacting men and where are the sources that it's coming from yeah well i mean you can speak to that too mm-hmm. um but you know so it could be pesticides it could be heavy metals it could be um birth uh, control in your water birth control in your water mm-hmm. you're not filtering your water properly uh, i mean Plastics and in the environment, BPAs, soy, soy. Um, we know about the uh, tyrosine, which is sprayed on a lot of the the, the rice fields and wheat fields, uh, corn crops probably as well. That that in salamander studies shows that that's actually converting females or male salamanders into females. So that's another estrogen estrogen exposure. So a lot of the environmental, modern agricultural you know, chemical, industrial, you know, impact that the, and how it's playing a role in our mm-hmm. hormones is, is huge. And maybe you have some others that you would yeah, add Yeah, I would say those are the big ones, like what we're consuming every day in terms of diet, what we're putting on our body, yeah. what's coming in the, the water system that's actually going to also um, make changes. So I've, I've seen a few teens, like young men, and they have gynecomastia. Yeah, so, so enlarged, yeah. enlarged. Yeah, enlarged. Breast tissue. Breast tissue. Yeah. And so what are some... And that, I mean, how concerning is that for a yeah, young boy, Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah, huge. so there's like then, you know, there's all this like social stuff that they're challenged by and um, just from a health perspective too, they're not able to perform as well as they want because a lot of the ones that I ended up seeing play, were playing some sort of sport and they were gaining weight around their midsection, which is usually more estrogenic. Yeah. And so what are some symptoms that you've seen in men that mm-hmm. usually brings them in kind of, it's like their foot in the door to start understanding their hormones? Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, most of the men that I see typically are in that sort of 35 to 60 year old range. And often they're, they're coming in con- concerned about, you know, whether it be libido or weight gain or chronic pain or poor recovery after exercise, like just not feeling as vital and happy. Most of them aren't coming in talking about the level of depression they're feeling, but mm-hmm. that's a huge component. And I think that men, in, and you know, this is sort of a great example for men in general, they're, they're more likely to find the physical debilitation before they you know, express themselves in the mental emotional side, but really like they're depressed, right? They, they've lost some of their direction and their drive and zest for life. And so those are the, so the symptomatic reasons I think most men are coming in. Um, and it's, it's really neat actually to be able to s- communicate to them about how much control they have over you know, what's going on. But when we start talking about things through, through the, the lens of testosterone or growth hormone or estrogen overload, uh, you know, all of these things really start to make sense for men. And they, they seem like they're more inclined to, to take action steps to feel mm. better. Um, but I think so much of this because 
you know, it, we're not as, you know, good, I think, at speaking about things, about what's not working, uh, you know, especially like in, say, groups of friends and things like that, that it seems women seem a little bit more sociable, social, socially capable of doing that. And so I think it's more in these one-on-one -on -one interactions that happen in the clinic where we get to hear some of these deeper stories. But, uh, you know, as they start to learn about themselves and understand that they do have control, it's, it's so rewarding to see that. Mm -hmm. So what about mood? So we openly talk about swings that women deal with yeah. through their cycle, perimenopause, menopause, but it's not often talked about that men also have mood swings. Yeah, IMS, right? Irritable man syndrome. Irritable man syndrome, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe describe what's happening there. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's behavioral stuff, you know, like even from early childhood, there's obviously environmental impact of toxicity and how it's affecting our hormones. Um, I think there's, you know, maybe expectations that, you know, of, of maybe men not feeling like they're, they're showing up in the way that they want to, and so they're looking for, you know, people to blame. Uh, I've never done that before. Mm. <laughs> well, I think there's a lot of reasons why, you know, men are, you know, expressing themselves or not expressing themselves in that that emotional kind of way but yeah I think that's a huge huge factor in, in what's affecting men's health to begin with is mm -hmm. just that they're either not identifying what they're actually feeling um, or maybe labeling something else as the problem without actually mm -hmm. you know taking the time to, to look in. But what about from like a hormonal perspective so women clearly go through perimenopause menopause and yeah. men go through andropause so there's often changes that they'll probably start seeing at age 35 even yeah. younger uh, we know we start losing testosterone at age 25 so depending on their lifestyle what they're eating how they're thinking and all these things will influence how quickly mm -hmm. they move into andropause but not all men can identify that that's what's going on yeah, like, yeah. just like we talked about in the early years there's no initiation there's also no like um, mm -hmm. talk about what's happening we just call it the midlife crisis yeah instead of like oh there's actual physical changes happening for men and what's going to influence that yeah yeah so whereas women have this monthly cycle that there's a lot of variation yeah. throughout that month men tend to be more in a 24-hour cycle for the hormonal system and the up and down swings in testosterone through the day depending on activity and all those environmental influences and then there's this longer cycle just like there is for women where there's this move towards menopause same thing for men is that there's move this move towards andropause which is basically this you know consistent decline in testosterone and, and rise in estrogen so for some men that's as early as like 35 mm -hmm. upwards to like i said 50 60 some of our 60 year old male patients have better testosterone levels than our 20 year olds and so it's really an individualistic experience mm -hmm. but that um that smaller 24-hour cycle, the fluctuations in testosterone really play a role on mood. But then there's this natural decline of testosterone, growth hormones, and these other things. You mentioned this with regards to female hormones too. From the age of 25 to 40, there's expected to be at least a 50% drop in mm -hmm. overall expression of testosterone. And that will expedite with all like the chronic stress, like the poor recovery, not sleeping well at night, the, the wrong kinds of foods, maybe over-exercising or under-exercising metabolic health, you know, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So then in those andropause years, like what are some typical symptoms with that? Like for, for example, for menopause, you kind of hear about hot flashes, night sweats, mm -hmm. low libido, incontinence, mood swings, 
depression, anxiety, like I could probably go on yes, and yes, on yes, and yes, on yes. and on, right? <laughs> so what, what uh, for a man, uh, for, me, uh, bleh, man, for yeah. yeah, for males, what's happening there? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the same ones. So it's weight gain, change in mood. Uh, there could be low libido, erectile mm -hmm. dysfunction. Um, there could be just yeah, feeling depressed and... Um, you know, those are the big ones. Weight gain typically would be around the belly. And again, like you said, with some of those men, even in earlier childhood, they can have gynecomastia. Some men are developing more, you know, breast tissue as a result of increased estrogen. And then, you know, as testosterone declines, they're more likely to have cardiovascular issues because testosterone obviously mm -hmm. is very anti-inflammatory. There tends to be a natural upswing in insulin or insulin resistance, which is directly counterproductive to testosterone. So we, you know, men will get a drop in that. But symptomatically, it's all of those things. And I guess the other big one would be just, just really not recovering after exercise, mm -hmm. really. They're just feeling like it takes a really long time to, the aches and pains to go away uh, before they're ready to, to be active again. And, mm -hmm. and sometimes, especially for those men that are typically more active, that's one of the big things that, that, that gets them to come mm -hmm. and investigate. What's my, what, what, what are my hormones looking like, you mm -hmm. know, objectively? Yeah. And so that, I think, is the thing that will then impact relationship. Like, I have a lot of uh, female patients, and we'll talk about their libido and, um, you know, rate it out of 10 or rate the quality of your relationship out of 10. And we'll start talking about that. And sometimes it's actually the other way around in a sense that it's not the female counterpart that's having a challenge with libido, but it's actually their partner. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then I'll ask, well, is your partner getting any help or are they looking at their hormones? Well, no, they don't even want to go there and talk about it. Yeah. And so sometimes we have this assumption that it's just like the female counterpart that's having more of the libido issues at that stage. But a lot of men do, too, because of the factors that you're speaking to. And then that impacts how couples are relating to each other. Because sure. there's so much, especially around that stage, there's so much change that's happening. Like there could be that kids are going off to college. Um, there's changes happening in people's careers or whatever it might be. But there's so much letting go of an old pattern, routine and life. And it's like relearning how to be with, with each other again. And I find that's when a lot of couples have challenges coming back together to know each other again. Mm -hmm. So like what is something that we can support couples in a, from a physical sense and their hormones so that they can come together again from this like new perspective of understanding each other. Yeah, well, I mean, we see this in practice. Typically, the in relationships where um, both parties are working on themselves, you know, doing something, take an active role in what they're putting into the body, how they're moving their body, um, you know, when you eat better and you eat, you know, you move your, your body more regularly, you're typically going to feel better, mm -hmm. you know. So just showing up in a relationship in a better mood because you're taking care of yourself is, is already, you know, the environment that's going to really support connection. And especially if that's something that can be done together as a couple, like what a, what a great way to build, you know, support for one another. Mm -hmm. So that's like just a basic lifestyle thing. But yeah, I mean, when we start looking objectively at someone's hormone health and nutritional markers and get some objective, you know, information around what's going on for that unique individual and then start taking action towards building up their cellular health and their detoxification and whatnot, their hormones are going to work better. Mm -hmm. And so they will, again, not just feel better, but they'll be able to perform better, recover better, you know, lose that weight that they're, they're carrying or feel like clear some of that inflammation in the brain that allows them to express themselves more effectively. So that, that environment that they're changing internally is going to show up, you know, externally in, in the relationships. 
So I think that that's, it's fundamental. I don't really know how two people can have a really healthy, lasting relationship if they're not, you know, working on themselves individually mm -hmm. and, and finding what creates joy for themselves as an individual so that they can, you know, share with their partner what they're, what they're learning, what they're experiencing. Mm -hmm. I think it's an essential recipe for healthy relationships. Yeah. So we watched Avatar last night and there were a lot of emotional parts and you were talking about those like father-son yeah. moments. Oh, why am I getting emotional just talking about it? So it was a, it was a cry fest. <laughs> it was a cry fest um, because we have two boys too. I think that yeah. it hit home more. Um, so like talking about hormonal health. So, you know, you have a young man, uh, male growing up in your household who's having these different surges starting from their like you know, the brain, their um, LH, FSH, all the way to like their DHEA is like usually the first thing because it's the precursor to testosterone. And then stage two, their testosterone rises. And now they're having, you know, their changes in their body and all of that. And yet, you know, so then the dad is at his own stages and challenged by his hormones. So what do you, how do you navigate that as you're stepping into andropause? I'm not stepping in the house. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and you yes, have... there's hormone changes that go on. Yeah. And we have like young Kyan and Soren that are coming into themselves. Like yeah. What goes on for you? And just... I, I don't... Relating to them. In yeah. regards to... So there was like moments in the movie, for example, where the dad was like super hard on the kids. Almost like military. Yeah. Um, and then mom had to come in and be like, okay, you know, you're really hard on them. You gotta be a little bit softer. And sometimes we have those conversations too. And, but finding like different angles to connect with them so that, again, going back to the cultural norms around how we define men, how to change that so that there is safety for them to come to you when they are going through all these changes and challenges mm -hmm. um, in their brains, their bodies, their relationships with um, others. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you navigate okay. that? That was like, there's so many different so many questions, questions in that one. <laughs> <laughs> but I just want to make sure I was sort of addressing mm -hmm. it in the way that you're, you're asking. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, one of the things I've been thinking about lately, especially over like this, these, these holidays is that I feel like, as a result of me taking interest in what they're doing, they're mm -hmm. going to be more likely to engage in conversations with me. So mm -hmm. I make an effort to play video games with them or do Lego with them or take mm -hmm. them out to the soccer field and, um, you know, just play with them. And I think that, you know, obviously it's enjoyable for me, but I also feel like that's our um, opportunity for bonding is actually through activity. Right. So I think as... And, and I know this personally, I would... I feel... I would much rather hang out with a bunch of my friends doing an activity, going mm -hmm. for a hike, playing soccer, or like playing a game of some sort, being in action, because mm -hmm. I think that that's where men thrive, is, is in that surge of that action hormone you mentioned, testosterone. And there's something about building connection through activity that's really, really important. And I find that when I'm engaged with my boys in that way, the conversations that flow after being in activity and doing some sort of challenge together are, are fun and they're, mm -hmm. they're really, the, the conversation is very f easy and free flowing, it's not forced at all. So I recognize that even if there's frustration with the boys in any capacity, it's always best if I can engage them through an activity. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, 
when I when I sort of reflect on some of the dynamics in the movie that came up and how he really came at his boys with more of this militant sort of disciplinary kind of style of conversation, part of it was like, well, they're living in the wild. They need to be really clear about you know what's okay, what's not, not what can create more you know opportunity for danger versus not. And it was interesting because the youngest boy had this really explorative and sort of rebellious sort of nature to him, and I definitely saw you know, pieces of our boys and that sort of dynamic. And I'd say the one thing that the wife did really well is she didn't communicate that in front of the boys. She actually right. pulled the husband aside and was like, hey, you know, how you're showing up right now for the boys is something that can be, you know, maybe, maybe you could look at them as family as opposed to, like, soldiers in, in your military mm -hmm. unit, right? So I think that, like, I really appreciated that sort of pulling aside and not putting the man down in front of the boys, which kind of makes them question, like, well, which authority figure do I listen to? Like, who's the parent here? Do I wait until the mom has the final answer before I decide to say, okay, well, now I'll listen. Mm -hmm. So I thought that, that was really neat. And I know that's something you and I have talked about in our own relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Any thoughts on that? <laughs> <laughs> and not even just that last part, no. but like, you know... Um, yeah. Yeah, I think just going back to um, the action piece, I think is really important for the listeners to tune into. When again, going back to like how physically a male brain functions and the hormones, and for females, it's very different. It's oxytocin. Yeah. So for for me in my time with the boys, it's we're baking or yeah. we're doing art or we're doing something else or we're going for a walk. It's, it looks very different. So it creates different different space for them to connect and conversate, whereas for male counterparts that might be a little bit different. So I think understanding that about each other can help support this relationship, but then it can also support relationship between parents and their kids too, mm -hmm. knowing just what their biology is and what it's actually needing to, like, to support them. So that yeah. they understand too when there's different emotions going on, whether it's anger or frustration, which is something that happens at that stage during puberty, their prefrontal cortex is also developing. So sometimes they get angry with, um, but they don't even know they why they're why. getting angry. Yeah. So we've had conversations with Kyan around like, it's probably because you're changing. There's changes happening and he's communicated. I don't even know why I'm upset right now. Mm -hmm. And so it's great that he's able to communicate that and then we understand what's going on and then fueling him with the knowledge of like, well, your brain's changing. So this is normal. Because I think what happens is if they're not validated, and how they're feeling and the changes that they're going through hormonally, that's where they get stuck emotionally. Because mm -hmm. then they feel like there's something wrong with them instead of, wait, this is just part of development. This is just part of growth and mm -hmm. it's okay. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You know, and do you think that we give them enough space to you know, have, those, have that kind of awareness? No, I mean, we're still learning as mm -hmm. parents. <laughs> so there's definitely moments where like, we're going to get triggered because of our own stuff. Mm -hmm. and own experiences and I have to pause often to figure out again like what I was talking about at the beginning like is this his is it mine when am I supposed to step in when is what he's saying and doing not okay and where's the boundary so I think there's always questioning but I think they're just important conversations to have with them mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so what do you so like let's jump into the other aspect of that so like the, the parenting side of things when you know is it always the the right thing to do to to like support the parent when they're disciplining the kids 
and not step in. I, and I know what you want me to say here. No, no, because no, no, <laughs> I think it's an important dialogue because yeah. maybe mm -hmm. it's there is a time where where we're like, okay, how can we look at this differently? You know, in a in a conversation, let's say that there's a dynamic where the father's disciplining the the kids in a certain kind of style, the mom doesn't agree with the the way that things are playing out. Uh, the mom takes upon herself, and again, the rules could be reversed, but the mom takes upon herself to, to side with the kids or say, listen, the, your, the, your dad isn't, you know, listening well to you guys. Or like, what, what kind of dynamic do you think is the optimal way forward? Okay, let's just call it as it is. So we are <laughs> talking about us here. Because <laughs> there are times where, yeah, I feel like how you're approaching the conversation with them isn't going to get the results that you're actually looking for knowing, especially the older one's tendencies mm -hmm. and what he's trying to communicate because him and I are so similar. Yeah. And so I would say for me, because of probably my past experiences and everything, my mama bear comes up first and my first instinct is to protect them, no matter who's on the other side of things. And sometimes... Do you think that that's been developmentally helpful or do you think it's, it's just an acute strategy? I don't know, because I question both, because um, we're trying to teach them to question everything, even authority. Mm -hmm. Because we're parents doesn't mean we have all the answers. So I understand the, um, the cohesive front that parents need in order to create a stable and steady environment for kids where they can fumble and they know that we're like grounded with each other. I understand that too. But I also, just because of my past experience, if we don't teach them to question authority, then it feels like authority can do anything to them. Mm -hmm. And that's like a deeper conversation around even our conversations with them about their body autonomy and all of that. If you teach a child that an adult is always right in what they're saying and they can do whatever, say whatever, then when will they speak up if an adult is crossing a boundary? Mm -hmm. that's, that's very clearly there. Yeah. It's very confusing. But from a parenting perspective, I understand the being the team so that they can land on the team. And I also feel like if it's very clear that that other parent is in their own story and emotions, then I think depending on the intention and the tone and all of that, it can, I think the other parent can question in front of them. Mm -hmm. But that's my opinion. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because when I, th I think back to being a kid, when it came to discipline, it was rarely my mom that disciplined. It would happen, you know, from time to time. But we were afraid of my dad. It's like when he was angry, it's, you know, clear the room. You do not want to be around. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we kind of brought this up earlier. Part of me wants, you know, them to always listen. But there's another, also another part of me that really respects that they can speak back to me and... And as they grow, they're actually getting more articulate, you know, mm -hmm, what they're actually feeling. with what, mm -hmm. what they're actually feeling. And so sometimes these like headbutting experiences turn out to be these really beautiful conversations that happen. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think like as a parent, we're so quick to like try to stop the noise in the moment. It's like there's an acute stress, like we're maxed out, the kids are maxed mm -hmm. out. It just needs to end. And mm -hmm. so we try, I think as parents, we try to find the quickest strategy to stop everything and sort of reset. And so maybe that's part of the role that you're playing is to like, how do we just shift this energy and, and maybe like um, interfering with, with my communication seems like the fastest way forward. You've got a ton of stuff on your plate. You're like, I don't want to deal with this. So just 
let's just try to shift it. Uh, and I get that and I can understand that. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that there's definitely a more effective strategy as parents to say like, you know, just like in the movie, you should pull them aside. Hey, I noticed this was going on. Why don't we try, you know, engaging with them in this kind of way? Uh, or maybe when we're in the middle of that acute challenge, just come into the conversation from a different angle that does that sort of addresses both people uh, without being condescending or you know mm -hmm. challenging you know not that there's hierarchy but not challenging uh, either sides but just trying to find a, a peaceful platform. But all that being said, I think it's it's just interesting how we're so quick to try to solve the problem now. Right, and like, which is a very like male testosterone, sure um, action-oriented, yang type of way of yeah. being. And I think because culturally that's what we're taught, yeah. that there has to be a problem to that solution right in that moment. Totally. And I'm so guilty of that. Like, mm -hmm. like I, you know, I really want to come to a conclusion. Even if you and I are in a disagreement, like, you know, you can still be mad at me. And I'm just like, Sonia, let's, let's move on. Let's just get over it. And sometimes you need space to just diffuse. Mm -hmm. and, and me, I'm like, okay, I'm ready to move on. You know, as... Growing up, you know, with an older brother, we would like fight, butt heads, whatever, and then like two minutes later, all was good. Like we yeah. were just we were done with it, and we wouldn't even think about it. There was no resentment. It was but your just, sister probably still remembers things oh, for sure. today from she still brings it up. Yeah. <laughs> so does your sister exactly right? Yes. But yeah. you know, in that, and I think that as a man in this relationship or in any relationship that you're in. And maybe I'm just speaking from my own personal experience, but there's something about just wanting to go, okay, that's done, time to move on. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what the boys think if they, if they hold on to resentment. Maybe they're in the same boat, but I know that you definitely don't operate like that. Mm -hmm. And I think that that can be a challenge in relationships, is mm -hmm. that just knowing that conflict, in, in my mind, is short, sweet, we disagree, let's get over it, move on, no, no grudges whatsoever. Yeah. I think there's probably different layers to that. There's the hormonal layer, mm -hmm. just being testosterone, being that action-oriented hormone. There's the brain layer, where women are kind of gathering information from right and left hemisphere, whereas men are kind of in one and then in the other when they need yeah. to be. So there's that. There's also just the other element of um, the mental load um, in comparison to male and female too. Sure. So there's there's that piece that's also going to contribute. Well, to maybe speak to that a little bit, like the mental load, you know, just so, so that, you know, anyone listening can really more deeply understand what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, so I'll just speak like from our own perspective and family. It's like being, like you had talked about in the beginning how roles have changed from the 50s. Yeah. Before there were very defined roles where mostly it was the male counterpart going to work, the female counterparts at home, cooking, cleaning, taking care of the kids and raising the family. Whereas now... We're all all doing it's it. And trying, it's yeah. it's overlapped. We're all doing it together, or trying our best to do that. So there's some elements of confusion in roles, and so it's it's been shown in studies, it's been shown in surveys, and all of that. For the female counterpart that's going to work, she also has more of that load of thinking about the laundry, the meals, the, the grocery, soccer programs, the, or like everything. the upcoming camps. Exactly. Yeah. So all of those things. So then that creates this other element of having to step into their testosterone mm -hmm. more often to keep up mm -hmm. with all the action that needs to be done. Yeah. Whereas like on my end, I'm I'm maybe it's the male brain, maybe it's just me, I don't know for sure, but I'm just more like this is what needs to be done now in this moment yeah. and then I'll move on to my next moment where I'm not necessarily in this moment thinking about the huge to-do list. Mm -hmm. What I've come to learn though being in this relationship is that when, whenever I see you in frustration or in challenge or what have you, 
I then have to step back and sort of put on that sort of feminine cap and go, oh, she's not just thinking about this moment right now. She's thinking about like the 10,000 things. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting yeah. today, Soren pointed out when I was talking about my book, mommy got a lot of things going on. <laughs> <laughs> so just need to like see that it, just being observant yeah, of your partner. Totally. Of like, okay, let's pause. They've got a lot of stuff going on and for women to pause too, like, okay, he's not going to think about all the things that I'm thinking about. Yeah. So how can we simple this down? so that he can really understand so you put the emphasis what's, on simple what's happening in this moment and yeah. which is like i think such a gift that men have um to be able to be present in this moment and like check off the list and go to the next and and i also think it's a gift that women have that we can be in all these places but when we're not using the powers properly i think that's where the dis you know yeah. disconnect starts because well, there's expectation resentment right? yeah exactly yeah so then, in conclusion of all well, of this... Well, I just want to say on that, something yeah. on that, which, you know, kind of correlates to just that, that male sort of aspect of fluctuating and volatility and hormone through the day. This mm -hmm. is where I, where I think that we can be more, like, driven to do something now. Mm -hmm. And we're in that do mode and we get it done. And then maybe there's a, a shift down and then we're more reflective and we can interpret our partner a little bit more effectively or our kids or whatever. And then we're back into like a surge in testosterone again. And so I think that that volatility in our day really serves that like get thing done moment, get that thing done moment, you know. Mm -hmm. So whereas in your case or in, in a woman's case in that monthly cycle, there would be periods of creativity throughout the month or periods of more desire for, for intimacy or connection. And then there's periods of like with being withdrawn and needing space and, and so mm -hmm. um, I think it's just I wanted to sort of circle back to some of that earlier conversation around like what is the male hormonal system how does it operate through mm -hmm. the day and how that correlates to our emotions and our behaviors and mm -hmm. the decisions we're making and our ability to move past our challenges yeah yeah and I think that's a good way to close because our future conversations too I think it'll be interesting to dive even deeper into yeah. behavior and even with like kids and all the different angles that we can look at. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I, as always, I always learn so much mm -hmm. from speaking with you. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs>